Okay, so what are we discussing today? Well, we're gonna start with mental health. Uh, so <laughs> do I need to kind of set this up then? I guess you did like the little- Hey guys, it's Jesse. So this is the second of our shorts episodes about COVID-19 and about how it's impacted just a variety of past topics that we've explored. Producer Rachel Zabo is presenting me with a bunch of interviews that she's done. So you're going to listen in on a conversation between Rachel and I, as I hear for the very first time, what she uncovered. And today's episode is going to be about how COVID-19 is impacting mental health. You're listening to the Love Thy Neighborhood podcast. Shorts. Shorts. Welcome to our corner. So, life has been pretty much thrown out of whack the last couple months or so. Do you feel that? Yeah, that's fair to say. (laughs) Yeah, just a little bit. You and I have been working from home. Your kids were home from school. Are they done with school now? They're not out. No, my daughter finishes this week and my son finishes in a week and a half. My yeah. wife has to work for another like three weeks uh, and then she gets time off. So, yeah. So yeah. our house is very full all and very busy. At your house. All the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So one of the reasons I wanted to look into the topic of mental health is I was like, all of this change has got to be affecting people mentally. I mean, I know like for myself, it's been a struggle of like, can't go anywhere can't see anyone you're stuck at the house i mean i got a dog to, to help me right get right it. yeah yep. like i mean partially that's why i did yeah was because i needed some companionship uh, yeah yeah something. yeah so if you remember on our episode on mental illness we interviewed dr brian briscoe yeah, he's a course. psychiatrist yep and so for this conversation of finding out you know what's going on in the world of mental health i decided to call up dr briscoe First of all, I think I'm curious for, you know, for you all, have you seen like an uptick in folks contacting you all or, you know, struggling, needing more assistance than usual? Well, in the first few weeks, uh, things were basically okay for what I noticed. People didn't seem to be suffering that much. I had the sense the first couple of weeks that people were just doing fine and it wasn't affecting my initial response was, hey, you know, people just adapt, right? That was my initial. I was telling people when they would ask me questions like you asked, it's just people just adapt. But now I'm seeing something a little different in the last few weeks. I'm seeing, you know, people are starting to really be affected by this. And so we are seeing an uptick in anxiety. We're seeing an increase in depressive symptoms. There's no question about it. Yeah, I think that that correlates with what I feel like is my own experience and what I feel like is the experience of a lot of my friends. Oh, I said the exact same thing. I like was at like, first, it's almost like vacation. It's like, yeah, it's like, it's exciting. Yeah. It's like the world has, it's like a snow day, like it's a new. really elaborate snow day. For those of us that weren't 
directly like we didn't lose our jobs COVID-19 yeah we haven't lost family members yeah Yeah. Yeah. so for those of us that were sort of in more areas where we weren't being struck as much so at first it was kind of nice like the like it cleared our schedules the world slowed down but as time went on there were diminishing returns yeah and so I wanted to know about you know numbers like how many people is this affecting can you give like a number to increased clients that you're seeing or in percentage increase within the last few weeks? No, I, we've gotten to the point where I let our operations people <laughs> manage that. I do not know. Um, I, what I'm, what I'm, they keep my schedule full. <laughs> <laughs> That's their job. I, I, what I can, I can tell you is that the intensity of psychiatric symptoms and the people I am seeing is ramping up. So the other day I was on the phone with someone that I'm close to and they also work for an outpatient facility that takes care of people's mental health needs and she was saying the same thing. She said just the amount of pressure that's being placed on the staff now, like the number of calls have increased and the symptoms of their patients have grown exponentially. So I went ahead and did a little research to kind of get some numbers to put on this. And so this is from uh, an article from CNN. They said that prescriptions for anti-anxiety medication increased by 34 percent in mid-March, which is interesting because for the past five years, anxiety, anti-anxiety prescriptions had actually been on the decline. And so now it's like reversed and gone up. Okay, so previously it had been on the decline. And then this hits and it goes up by 34 percent. Yeah. I'm trying to kind of get like a mental picture in my brain of like if there are a crowd of people, like what is 34 percent increase? Like, 34 percent is roughly equivalent to like three out of 10. OK, so let's say that, or before there were two groups of people. There was a group of, of 10 and another group of 10. The first group of 10, all of those folks were on medication for anxiety. The second group of people, none of them were on medication for anxiety. This increases that basically three of the people that were not previously taking medication have moved over to the group that are now taking medication. Correct. And so that first group has grown quite a bit while the other group has shrank. Yeah. 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 And anxiety is not the only one. That CNN article also reported that increases in prescriptions for anxiety, depression, and insomnia combined are up 21%. It's interesting, though, your analogy of the, like, group of 10, group of 10. Yeah. And you saying, like, okay, so three of the people that weren't taking medication have now jumped to this other group. Uh And so that would imply, like, there's three new cases of anxiety. And so that's why I asked Dr. Briscoe, I was like, is this, like, strictly folks who've never experienced this are now suddenly experiencing it? Or is it just folks who have experienced it before and it's just ramped up further? We're seeing a little bit of, well, a lot of both. Uh, we're, we're seeing individuals who we've cared for for years, who've been generally stable, um, starting to struggle more in the, in the recent weeks. And we're seeing individuals who have struggled but not sought treatment, now starting to seek a little more treatment. So this made me kind of question, you know, like, why? What is it about this scenario or these circumstances, like, Why does this cause such an increase in mental health problems? 
And the answer is pretty simple, and it's just one word. The answer is stressors. The fact of the matter is, is that just certain individuals uh, are genetically and biologically predisposed to struggle with certain kinds of mental health conditions. And a lot of times uh, what will trigger a mental health condition or a, a episode of depression or worsening anxiety is an environmental factor. Whatever mental illness a person struggles with tends to get worse when uh, stress increases. So if someone struggles with a tendency towards depression, as stress increases, depression tends to creep back in. If someone struggles with generalized kind of anxiety, uh, it tends to get a lot worse. The stress bears down. And so in the case of COVID, there are a lot of potential stressors, right? So we've got a lot of uncertainty uh, in terms of job loss. We've got uh, increased job stress. You're changing the work environment. You're having to take care of your children at home. Um, you have very little free time for yourself. There's just a lot going on that's generating stress. And if you are predisposed genetically and biologically to depression, it's no surprise if suddenly you start developing depressive symptoms. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense to me. Like, I think about anybody, just the more stress that is pushed onto us, the less clear that we're able to think and process and reflect, and we become increasingly reactive I think my question for you would be like, what what have you found stressful in this circumstance? Because Dr. Briscoe was talking about all these stressors. And at first I was like thinking about it. I was like, I don't feel like I'm that stressed. So like for you, what has been stressful? Well, you know, I am the director of a nonprofit. So when all this hit, it came right at a time where typically... In our annual cash flow, cash kind of goes up. Well, that cash did not go up. So it has been very stressful for me economically in terms of leading this organization. Are we going to make it? At what point do we have to make really hard choices uh, about people's future and their livelihood? And we have to make contingency plans that we may not even have to execute. And none of the outcomes were enjoyable outcomes. Like they were Mm -hmm. all, you know, letting people go, furloughing people, sending interns home, uh, canceling the podcast. I mean, it was all these really hard you know, choices. And it really wasn't until we finally kind of got a financial turnaround to get over the hump, you know, where we could get out of emergency mode, you know, that my stress finally started to go down. But honestly, even once it did, I mean, my, my body freaked out on me, just having tons of stomach pains. And it was like the adrenaline suddenly rushed out of my body. You know, it caught up with me. But living like that for six weeks straight was was very, very hard. Yeah. But the, the symptoms of the stress came kind of after. Well, I would say that the emotional state that I was in was very much survival mode. Uh, but the physical symptoms showed up after, for sure, which is typical. Yeah. That's kind of how my body rolls with stress. Yeah. So, yeah. And I think that's generally typical of what we see with folks with mental health problems is it kind of like it catches up to you yeah. eventually sort of thing. At first, I think we were all in kind of a shock phase and just uh, just adjusting and our adrenaline was pumping and we were uh, just just trying to adjust our lives to the change. And now that things have sunk in and this has become a new norm and the, the financial pressures are starting to catch up, I, I think that the stress has set in. And so, yeah, we're seeing a lot more suffering. And I think the longer this persist, I think the more that's going to be the case. I'm, I'm prayerful that 
our economy will improve. I think that that's really where the stress is. If we, if we're honest with ourselves, that's the stress. I mean, it's just, it's that sense of everything, everything that once felt secure, it's sort of like all bets are off all of a sudden. It's like anything could happen. Like houses could be taken away. Jobs could be lost. And even with this momentary, like economic stimulus package that was passed, like that's finite. You know, if this virus chooses to go on for another year and a half and we're doing some version of social distancing for a year and a half, like I don't know how we'll cope as people. I'm not sure. Because there's the economic reality, right? And then there's the relational reality, you know? I think that's more where my stress is found. Yeah. is not so much in the economic, but in the relational. Say more about that. I feel like I spend a fair amount of my energy every day essentially trying to, like, make myself do stuff. So, like, working at home, I'm way less motivated. I tend to, like be more motivated if there's like other people doing the thing with me. So it's like, oh, this person's in their office working. So I'm in my office working and that's what we're doing right now. But it's like just me. And so it's like, well, I don't want to do that. And so it's like literally forcing myself to do stuff because I'm by myself. Yeah. And then also, I think not really having other outlets besides like my roommates and my roommates are great and I love them. But just like it's only them constantly. <laughs> and, you know, it, it gets tiresome. Yeah. My daughter is 12. And the other day I had to go pick up a piece of plywood for my friend. And I said, do you want to go with me? And she goes, yes. <laughs> and I said, hey, thanks for helping. She goes, uh, I really had to get out of the house. <laughs> and I was like, I get it. You know, I get it. She just literally wanted to see any other human beings besides the three people that she lives with. So, yeah. So all of this talk about the stress. Like, here's the thing with like this particular situation and these particular stressors, though, is like we can't really do much about it. And so there's a sense in where we can almost feel a little powerless and a little hopeless, uh, especially in terms of like our mental health. It's like, well, how are we going to stay healthy because we can't just make the stressors go away. But Dr. Briscoe says that we're not powerless and there's actually some pretty basic things that everyone can do to help their mental health as we continue to push through this pandemic in these circumstances. The first is to set an alarm in the morning and go ahead and get up at the time you would normally get up. If you had a job that forced you to get up, you should be going ahead and getting up. Going ahead and getting a shower and getting dressed. I know uh, a lot of us are, uh, and I've been tempted to this myself, you know, just wear the PJs and, but that it, getting back to the regular rhythm of life that you were in when you were going to work, showering, getting up, setting alarm, eating meals at the regular time, everything that you used to be doing, you should, st- when you were going to work, you should still be doing now with the exception of driving to work. Um, if possible, and regular routine and exercise, at least a couple walks a day, if you have that ability. Spending time with friends and family, although many times that can't be in person, but doing it via using video conference and scheduling those meetings to be once a week with, you know, your closest friends, relatives, uh, setting those up on a schedule. It's just, it's, it's maintaining the routines that, that got you here and keeping them going. Yeah, what, why is it that 
the, you know, maintaining your usual routine and rhythms, like, why is that helpful? Like, what about that is the, is help, so helpful? Oh, I, I, that's a good question. I don't know why. I just, <laughs> 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 um, that's, I, I think that we all kind of get it. Well, our, what happens is if we get out of our routines, we all kind of naturally get into a rut. We, we do kind of naturally start binging on Netflix or start going to the fridge every five minutes. And, you know, we, do, we just kind of naturally get out of good habits if we don't stick to routine. My kids do school online and they get done with school way faster than we get done with work, for sure. And so after about a week of them doing that and realizing, like, literally they get done and they were just watching TV all day. Like, Mm -hmm. uh, or, you know, they might play outside for a few minutes. I finally actually created a schedule for them. And so now they do school in the morning and then they have a certain amount of screen time that they can use as they wish throughout the day. They have meals at a certain time. They have to do 30 minutes of exercise each day. They do an hour of quiet time. Uh, We don't mean that in like the Christian way, (laughs) just like literally they go in their room and they just read books. Like solitude time. Yeah, solitude time. Yeah. And then they have chores that they do every single day. But having those rhythms throughout the day allow my kids to measure time and have a sense of where are they in the course of their day so that they're not just slipping off. Aimless. Into aimlessness. Yeah. 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 And we noticed, we noticed a huge difference. Once we implemented that, we noticed that both our kids became far less anxious and that they really enjoyed each of those things much more intentionally instead of sort of sitting in them just with a restlessness. Mm-hmm. You know, God likes to compare us to sheep and how like sheep need to be corralled. Like they need some some barriers and some like parameters. Otherwise, right. they're just right. like wandering yeah, off. Totally. Like, what totally. am I doing? I don't yep. know. But yeah, yep. we need those fences and those gates to kind of like keep us at our best and at our healthiest. Yes, totally. And I think this is important to remember too, is like God is still at work, you know, even during like all the stress that we're experiencing and like this horrible pandemic that's happening. And I don't say that to downplay the real pain and suffering and loss that some people have experienced during all this. But I think it's important to remember that it's out of death that God brings life. One of the things that I've been advising my own clients is to try to see some of the silver linings within this crisis. It's also a chance for us to dive into our relationship with God and to really think through in our own life where God wants us to be. I think for a lot of us, all the plans that we've made, a lot of those plans have been kind of, we've had to let go of them. Um, And that's painful. But at the same time, it allows us to realize how completely dependent we are on God and that we we don't know what tomorrow is going to hold. And only God knows that. The only thing we're promised is today uh, in in the the moment that we have right now. It, It forces us to remember and to think about and contemplate what God wants us to value most. You know, is it is it our retirement? Is it the plans we have to move forward in our career? Is it the plans we have to buy the new home, to, you know, to buy the latest gadget? Or is it just to be thankful for the things that we have 
And some of those things may be just the rising sun. And I, and I think a lot of people are already doing that now, naturally, and don't necessarily need to be advised of that. I think that something like this, a crisis like this, just naturally forces that process within people, and people are already doing that. So that, to me, is one of the silver linings. Most generations have been through a major period of suffering, and this may just be our generation's suffering, but with suffering we grow, and with growth we can experience a much greater sense of peace. And that peace brings health, and a lot of times that peace and the health that comes with that can involve an improvement in our mental health. Yeah, like it reminds me of uh, this old saying, God doesn't waste your pain. No matter the hardship that you've suffered, like God will not let this be for nothing. Like somehow he's going to use everything for your good and everything for his glory. And that is a mystery beyond mysteries to me. And yet at the same time, it is profoundly comforting to know that somehow all of this will be used for our ultimate good. That is beyond me and yet incredibly hopeful. Agreed. Special thanks to Dr. Brian Briscoe. Hear more from Brian and the topic of mental illness on episode number seven of the Love That Neighborhood podcast, where the gospel meets mental illness. You can find this and all of our episodes at lovethyneighborhood.org slash LTN podcast. 